Welcome to the podcast for Pepecura Baptist Church. This podcast exists to glorify God through the preaching of His Word. For more information about Pepecura Baptist Church, please visit www.pepecurabaptist.co.nz. That's all the notices. Uh, hopefully, you've had time to find Matthew 13, where uh, in uh, verse 24 to 52. Uh, but before we read that, I'm going to pray for us. Father, as we read your word and as we think about it, I pray you'd cause our hearts to be soft. I pray you'd cause our hearts to be good soil where your word can find a place to grow and bear fruit. We pray this, that you might be glorified in us. Amen. So it's Matthew 13, 24 to 52, uh, and this will be our last sermon in Matthew for um, a little while, um, so enjoy it while you can. Matthew 13, 24 to 52. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? And he said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servants said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, no, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles uh, to be burned. But gather the wheat into my barn. He put another parable before them saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it is grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the year come and make nests in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. All these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. Then when he left the crowds, he went into a house, and his disciples came to him saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. And he answered, The one who sows is... So is the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. The good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the close of the age and the reapers are the angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so it will be at the close of the age. The son of man will send his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin 
and all the lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. In the place, in that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. When it was full, Men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers, but threw away the bad. So it will be at the close of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the place, uh, them into the fiery, fiery furnace. Into that place there will be, and in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood all these things? They said to him, yes. And he said to them, therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. I once saw my grandma reading a book. She was staying with us and she reads and I, I noticed she was at the end of a book so I made some comment about that to her oh, you're at the end of the book have you got another one uh, to read and her response to that comment really shook me she told me that she hadn't she wasn't at the end of the book she was just she hadn't started reading the book yet she just wanted to read the end so she knew how it finished before she started and it troubles me to this day that you do that. But I kind of I, I get it. I notice a bit of that in myself when I read a book or, or watch a movie or look at some kind of story. I like to watch ones where I know there's going to be a happy ending. I don't like these complex ones where you're never sure how it's going to end or whatever. I just like ones that I know, you know, the good guy's going to punch the bad guy and the world's going to be okay. I like to know the end and I like to know what's going to happen Happen. And actually, when you know the end of a story, it helps you understand and uh, experience the story as you read it through. Um, if, you're, if you're really into sort of Lord of the Rings and reading those books, you'll read The Silmarillion, which is really long and, and quite boring for lots of it. And it's a bit pointless because it's you know what's going to happen in the end because you've read The Lord of the Rings. But actually knowing the end, knowing what happens in the future, adds to your reading of this other part. I'm sure um, many of us, this week as we suddenly went into lockdown again and suddenly life was thrown up in the air, um, it would have been a lot more comfortable for us experiencing the things we've gone through again this week if we'd known or if we could know that it was going to have a happy ending, that, that 
COVID was all going to go away and everything would be fine. As we look at newspapers and, and read the news or go online and read about all these problems and troubles and things that were happening, if we knew the end, if we knew how things would turn out, it would make it a lot better to read. We'd, we'd understand and know. It would be Life would be a lot more comfortable and a lot a better experience for us if we knew how it was going to end. And if we knew the end of the story of our world, how would that help us understand today? What would we be doing differently if we saw how things were going to end? How would we experience life differently if we know the end We're in a part of Matthew's Gospel that is meant to explain, written to explain what is happening. It's trying to reveal to those people who have ears to hear what is going on in Jesus' time and in our time. Uh, In chapters 11 and 12, we've seen a lot of rejection, a lot of mixed response to Jesus, a lot of opposition, all these things which require explanation. And chapter 13 gives us that explanation. It tells us what is going on, why these things are happening. But it does it in the form of parables. We thought about the parable of the sower last week. It explains why the kingdom is received so differently by different people. And so Jesus is explaining what's happening in our world, explaining what's going on through these stories. And in our uh, passage this morning, Jesus will continue to do that. But uh, as you could see, it's not just one parable. It's many parables that come thick and fast that are helping us to see what's really going on in the world around us. They help us understand what's happening by illustrating what will happen at the end. They tell us how things will be in the end so that we know how to live and what to think today. Now if you look at this chapter, you'll see that Jesus tells three parables publicly to the crowds. Verses 24 to 35, they're out facing the crowds. What uh, anyone and everybody needs to hear, what they need to know about the end. Then in verse 36, Jesus retires into a house and there he's speaking privately to his disciples, those who have understood uh, what the crowds heard. This is for someone who's following Jesus, how the end uh, shows them how to live. And uh, if you were here last week, you'll know that we kind of, we didn't go through verse by verse, but this week we're just going back to the normal way of doing things. We're just going to work our way through the passage and think about what is going on. So let's jump in and let's think about these stories and think about how they te- how the ends that they show teaches us how we should live today. Verses 24 to 30 uh, start with the parable of the weeds of the field. So a man um, goes into a field, sows his seed, he wants to have grain. In the night his enemy comes and he sows this other bad seed, uh, and I'm told, I don't know because I'm, I, don't, I don't grow these kinds of plants, there's a particular kind of weed that looks a whole lot like grain, and the only way you know it's not grain is when it's fully grown, it doesn't have grain on the top. That's the only way you know, and we can see that in verses 26 and 27. Uh, the servants only recognize what's happened when things start to grow, and some of their grain isn't grain because it doesn't have grain. And so the picture we see 
is of a mixed field. Uh, this, this, this field that has been sown, but the plants that are growing are mixed. Not all of it's good, some of it's bad. A mixed crop. Now when, when I look at my house and I see there are weeds growing, I'm better at recognizing them than the, than the servants, but what I do is get out there and, and I weed and I pull them all out so that it's only the good seed. But the master doesn't do that. He's concerned for the good seed and he's concerned that uh, if his servants go about and try pull out this bad seed that it will actually ruin the good seed. I kicked over a red onion sprout just the other day when I was weeding. Sometimes when you're weeding, you ruin the good seed, and the master doesn't want to do that, and so he lets both grow together until harvest time. Then at harvest time, he'll pull out all the bad ones and burn them and save all the good seed. Now we benefit from another explanation for this parable. The field that was sown is the world. The master is the son of man, that's Jesus. The enemy is the devil. The good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The bad seeds are the sons of the devil. Uh, Both people, uh, that's referring to both people, uh, but also causes of evil, we read later, causes of evil within uh, God's people. The bad seed are the things that do evil and cause evil. The harvest time is the end, and the harvesters or the reapers uh, are the angels. And the message we see, once we see all that, is pretty clear. The world is full of mixed crop. There's a mix of good and bad seeds in the world, and it will remain like that until Judgment Day. Jesus is waiting until the end, until the end of time, before he sorts out the good from the bad. And so we shouldn't expect that uh, today, at some point, or during our lifetimes, we'll definitively sort out and Uh, and be able to separate the good from the bad, until Jesus comes, there will be this mix of good and bad. And that helps us understand what we see in the world today. God isn't removing all the sons of the devil. There will be people who sin. There will be causes of sin. He's not doing the weeding as we go. He's waiting until the final day to sort out good from bad. And the bad will be burnt and destroyed and the good will be saved. And so we should expect to see that. We shouldn't expect that everything will be good and nice today. We should expect that at the end. And I think if we look at this passage and understand what it means and understand uh, uh, what it's saying about Judgment Day, it highlights our need for salvation and to remain faithful to that until that day. In the end, Jesus will come and destroy bad seed, wickedness and evil. He will burn it to nothing. They will be thrown into the place where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. And so the most important thing for any of us is to make sure we're the good seed. The question that we all, the most important question that we all need to answer this morning is how does God see me? Does he see me as good seed or bad seed? 
Does he see me as righteous or wicked? The most important thing in the end will be how God sees us. And the only way that we will be seen as righteous, as good seed, as not bad seed, is if we've taken shelter in Christ. The only way that we can become good seed is by accepting Christ's forgiveness and accepting his righteousness and be covered with his blood. That's the only reason that God would see us as good seed, because we all know that we are not good seed. And so the most important thing that we see in this parable, that as we live today, the most important thing we need to know and understand is how God sees us and how we can be seen as righteous through his son. That's the most important thing that we can know as we live today. The most important thing we see in light of the end is that we must be trusting in Christ until the end. But Jesus goes on tell two more parables and these parables are about growth you have a mustard seed which is tiny and yet it grows into a tree a tree that's so big that birds can come and nest in it or if you think about leaven or in our case yeast during at lockdown when we go into lockdown people rush out to the supermarkets and they buy toilet paper and flour and you'll notice that people buy these massive big bags of flour but only small amounts of yeast and that's because the yeast is far more powerful, far more effective than the flour. You only need to add a small amount of yeast, and yet it, it influences the whole dough. And so here we have two very small things which look insignificant, and yet they grow, and in the end they become the most powerful, the most significant. If you look at the mustard seed now or the yeast yeah, now, you might see that it's, you might think it's weak and useless and unimportant. But if you look at those things at the end, you see that they are not. They are strong and effective and they grow and they have a significant impact on everything that happens. And so it is with the kingdom of God. We might look at it today and think it looks small and weak and ineffective. We might look at society and look at our country and look at the decisions that major the majority of people have taken about who we're allowed to kill and who we're not allowed to kill. And we might feel that our, what God's word said and, and how we see things is weak and ineffective and doesn't have influence. But in the end, that will not be true. In the end, the kingdom of God will be the greatest. It will grow uh, and become the greatest and have the most influence and nothing will be able to stop it and so how things look today don't always indicate how they will look in the future one day God's rule will be established upon the earth and no one will be able to refuse it and so that helps us make sense of the present doesn't it it helps us uh, understand what is going on and understand how we were to respond to it if we think about the crowds that Jesus is addressing, the crowds are made up of people who follow Jesus or people who are indifferent or people who may be interested and people who oppose him. And they've all come to see or follow or think about this man and sure he can do some miracles and that's, that's great. But he's actually a man who's being harassed uh, and attacked by religious leaders. They will see a man crucified on the cross as a criminal. 
They will see weakness and humility and they might think, what's the point in following him? Yet in the end, that man will return in power to rule. His kingdom will come to dominate all. carry on verse 34 and 35 we uh, we might call them sort of an editorial note this is Matthew uh, explaining to us what is going on in, in these uh, parables that we're reading and he quotes to us Psalm 78 verse 2 now we looked at I read out Psalm 78 uh, last week uh, and it's not really what we'd think of as a prophecy it's written by Asaph, uh, and he's not saying this is what will happen in the future. He's actually telling us about the past, the past from his perspective, so way long ago for us. Uh, Asaph uses Israel's history uh, as a sort of parable to teach God's people about who he is and how they've failed him and how he's still been faithful and all these things. And so Asaph, when he talks about speaking, opening his mouth in parables uh, and uttering what's been hidden, he's talking about how he is going to explain history so that people see what God has done for his people. And Psalm 78 is filled with, uh, with the history of Israel, how God was good to them and how they failed God. But we might say that what Asaph is doing is he's revealing the meaning and the purpose of history. He's showing what really happened, what was really taking place. And so accordingly, verse 2, which is quoted here, uh, the psalmist opens by proclaiming that he is going to reveal a mystery. He's going to teach us the meaning of this history. And the question is, how is Jesus fulfilling this? How is that even something that can be fulfilled. It's not a prophecy how we would think of it. But nonetheless, Matthew says that Jesus is fulfilling the psalm. Jesus is doing what the psalm is saying. And this is what Matthew means, I believe. In Psalm uh, 78, the psalmist takes a part of Israel's history and explains it and shows what God was doing. In the same way that that psalmist revealed part of history and taught the people from part of history who God was and what he was doing, so Jesus explains all of history. He takes all of history and reveals to uh, his people its meaning. Jesus explains history. Now, I'm not saying that, I don't think that this is saying that Jesus is going to tell us every individual thing that will happen in our lifetimes and, and all these things. I don't uh, think that's what it's saying. I think that Jesus reveals the ultimate meaning of history. He reveals the ultimate purpose of what is happening. And we see it in these parables that Jesus is telling. At the end of the age, these are the things that will be significant and important. These once, uh, once there's once Jesus has returned and time is finished and He has come to judge. He's showing us what will be left, what will be important, what will be significant. The kingdom of heaven will remain. Everything that happens before that final day, in the end, will only be to serve that kingdom. That kingdom is the only thing 
that will last. And so as we experience another lockdown this week, and it hugely affects us, and is probably you know, taking up a large part of our thinking and our time and all these things, when Jesus returns, the sum total of what will remain from this lockdown and the previous two lockdowns will be the things that served his kingdom. The rest will just be thrown away like weeds. Last year, we thought a lot about our election and the American election, but when Jesus returns, the only thing that will remain from Trump's leadership or Biden's leadership or Jacinda's leadership is the fruit of righteousness it produced. The rest will disappear. Here at PBT, we do a lot of tip things and we spend a lot of time and effort um, and resources to make church happen, but the only things that will remain When Jesus returns are the things that bear the fruit of righteousness. Whatever failed to serve his kingdom will be destroyed. Jesus, as he reveals to us history, reveals to us the end of what will happen, shows us where things get purpose and meaning from. And so we want to be people of the kingdom. Because in the end, that's the thing that will grow to dominate. In the end, it's the good seed that will remain and the bad seed that will uh, be destroyed. We want to be gospel people proclaiming the good news of the kingdom because that's what's going to last forever. We want to be Jesus people because he is the one who's going to return to judge. He is the one that is explaining and revealing and teaching to us what is the purpose and meaning of everything that happens to us. We want to be people who understand and know the end of history, who see what will last forever and live lives in the light of that. And we must let that affect us this year next year, for the next decade, until eternity. question is, how do we do that? How do we let uh, eternity and what will happen at the end affect us today? What does that look like? Well, fortunately, the last half of the passage is helping us think through that. Like I said, Uh, From verse 36, Jesus comes away from teaching the crowds and just teaching everyone and comes to specifically teach his followers. And then uh, in verses 36 to 44, I believe, 43, um, Jesus explains the parable so they know, they understand that at the end of time, the bad seed will be destroyed and the good seed will remain. And so this is for people who see the end, who understand what is going on. From verse 44 to 52, it's, it's teaching people who understand what's come before, who understand what Jesus is going to do at the end. So I won't go over uh, the explanation because we've uh, already thought about it. We'll think about those four last parables um, that, will, that Jesus tells, and we'll think about how they teach us how, the, how we should live, how they show us how to live in the light of the end of the story. The first two parables are fairly similar. They're about treasure. How should, um, so if we're answering the question, how should people behave in light of the end, these two parables give us a very clear message. How should I behave knowing that Jesus is coming again? I should be crazy. I should be out of my mind. Look at these two men. The, 
One finds a treasure hidden in the, in the field, and he sells everything. He sells everything to buy that field because the treasure is so valuable. The other finds a pearl. Now, you might think the man you know, plowing the field, maybe he's just a bit crazy, but here's a businessman. Here's a merchant whose job it is to find expensive pearls. And when he finds this one, he sells everything to get it. For these two, there's no thought of maintaining, you know, a diversified portfolio or, uh, you know, making stable and uh, sensible decisions. They're all in. Every egg in this basket, once they find the treasure, once they find the thing that they've been seeking, they don't reserve anything in the pursuit of it. Everything that they own, everything that they have becomes a means by which they can obtain the thing which they see as the most valuable. And so it must be for us. If we've truly seen the end, if we truly know that Jesus is coming again to judge and that all of eternity will be ruled by his kingdom, if we truly believe that the kingdom will grow to be the greatest then it becomes the most important thing. It becomes more important than everything in our everything else in our lives combined. Everything goes up for sale that we might gain the kingdom. And so we need to think about that. I think most of us are probably working off a pretty diversified portfolio where we have kind of Try and have a finger in a few pies. Yes, I've got the kingdom. I'm invested in the kingdom. Uh, but I also want my relationships and my family and my health and my career and my lifestyle. I want all these things as well. Eternity is, is valuable, but also my comfort things that I want today are also valuable to me. We need to ask ourselves, what do I consider to be valuable in my life? What do I consider to be most worthy of my time and my effort and my resources? What do I consider to be unworthy of my time, unworthy of my effort, unworthy of my resources? What do I find it easy to invest my time and my effort and resources into? Is the kingdom the most valuable thing to me? Can the kingdom draw upon every other thing in my life? Because it is that important. For those who understand the end, everything in the world does not compare to the value of the kingdom. And if you're in doubt, if that seems like a too high a price to pay, Jesus reminds us why it's that valuable with another parable. Very similar to the parable of the weeds, There's, it describes fishermen putting out a net and catching all kinds of fish and dragging it up on the shore, and then they're sorting it out. Uh, good fish, bad fish. And I think we get the sense that uh, Jesus is telling this to disciples who were fishermen by trade, uh, and so it's there, he's speaking to their work environment. This is what they did for a job. They were used to gathering fish and then deciding which ones are valuable, which ones can I sell for money, and which are worthless to me as a businessman, as, as my job. 
And so we see it's very similar to the parable of the weeds in that there's a mixture of good and bad, and people are deciding what is good and bad, what is valuable and what is worthless. I think what's here is what's being emphasized to us is the worthlessness of the bad. Evil will simply be thrown away. The thing that has no value in the final judgment is just it's thrown into the, into the fiery furnace, into the place where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth, like fishermen thinking about whether I can sell this fish for a profit, and if not, well, it's, it's no good to me. And we, it's encouraging us to see what is actually valuable in the end. We need to live in the light of the fact that only some things are valuable in the end. Only the kingdom is valuable in the end. There are lots of things which are valuable today, houses and careers and relationships, and you can invest yourself into possessing them, and you could even lie and steal and cheat to get them if you wanted. But one day they become worthless. One day they are worth nothing, like a bad fish thrown away. The only thing that matters in the end is the kingdom. And so we need to live lives that show the end of the story. We need to live lives that show that the, the real thing of value to us is what will be forever. And in the final two verses, there's one last parable, and it's probably uh, the most puzzling that we've come across so far. Jesus asks if his, his disciples understand them, and they say yes, and he says, therefore and launches into another parable. And so I'm, uh, I think that must mean that if we've understood what has come so far, if we've understood what will happen at the end and how that affects our lives today, then this last parable is for us. This last parable is for the people who understand what will happen in the end and who are seeking to apply it to their lives. This parable tells us what those people are like. He talks about a scribe who has been trained for the kingdom. So scribes were the people who were experts in Old Testament law. They knew it back to front. Their job was to be able to tell people how they live in light of the Old Testament law. Normally they're bad guys in, in, in the Gospels, but here it's sort of a neutral term for someone who's an expert in the law, an expert in the Old Testament. They knew how to apply it to their lives. But this scribe has also been trained in the kingdom. This scribe also knows what the end will be. He knows who Jesus is. He knows the kingdom is coming, and he's applying that to his life as well. So he's an expert in the Old Testament and an expert in the New Testament. He knows both. Someone who is reading the length and breadth of Scripture, looking to understand it from beginning to end. Someone who's, who's not just confining himself to one bit or his favorite kind of book. He's trying to understand the whole thing, trying to be an expert in both old and new. And Jesus says that this person is like the master of a house who brings out both new and old treasure. I'm sure if I went into many of your houses, I'd find some new stuff 
newfangled machines that do all kinds of things, and I'd find some old stuff, because anyone who lives in a house and is sensible about it knows that some old things are really handy and really good and really useful, and some new things are really handy and really good and really useful. Or a, like a, a smaller illustration, if you went and looked in my, on my bookshelf of books that I find helpful for me as a pastor and as a Christian, you'll notice that I've got it divided into people who are living and people who are dead. That's how I organize my books, living people who are still alive writing and dead people who are um, who are no longer alive, and sometimes I have to change books over. But the reason is because there are some people who lived a long, long, long time ago who are really useful to read, who really understood what the Scriptures said. There is value in both new and old. The people who are uh, sensible people will see that some old things are really useful and some new things are really useful. But what this parable is telling us, what that illustration is telling us, is that the person who's looking from uh, beginning to end, the person who's an expert in the old and an expert in the new, is able to bring out the old and new treasures. That is, broadly speaking, if you see the value in the New Testament, uh, you won't see the value of the New Testament unless you see the value of the Old Testament. You won't see the value of the Old Testament unless you see the value of the New Testament. Uh, the uh, The Bible is the best commentary on itself, and so we want to be reading all of it. We want to be understanding all of it, and it actually teaches us about itself and how we should read it. We've seen it so many times here in Matthew. Matthew's constantly telling us to go back and read the Old Testament. He says, this was to fulfill this part of the Old Testament, so go back and read that so you understand that bit better. And so, as people who understand the end, as people who 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 see the big picture of what's happening in our world, we want to be people who see the big picture, the big story of Scripture, who are able to bring out treasure from both new and old. One way the Bible has been described, uh, this big story that tries to encompass from beginning to end, is with four words, creation, fall, redemption, restoration. Creation, God making a creation which is good. Fall, humanity sinning and breaking that creation. Redemption, God acting to rescue and deal with that sin. Restoration, God taking the broken creation and making it perfect. Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. One way of describing the Bible from beginning to end, the big story of what's happened It's not perfect for sure, but it is helpful. Next time you open your Bible, you might want to think about what is this passage telling me about? Where does it fit? Is it telling me about the good creation? Is it telling me about human sin, which destroys that? Is it telling me about what God did to deal with sin and and redeeming people? Is it telling me about the future restoration? We want to be scribes trained in the kingdom. We want to be people who can bring out treasures from old and new, and if we want to do that, we want to see the whole picture, understand the whole story, and appreciate all of Scripture. We want to know it from beginning to end, the big picture. And that's what Jesus is encouraging us to be. That's what he's saying. If we see the end, if we know what's happening at the end of 
scripture, if they, at the end of all history, there will be people who think about what's happening all the way through and try uh, think through all of it. And so how do we understand what's happening today? What are we looking at to help us make sense of, of the things that we see in our world around us? Many of us might, you know, like reading news or like listening to talk back or look at podcasts or listen to podcasts to try and grapple with and understand what is happening today. But Jesus says no. Jesus says if you want to know what's happening today, we need to look at the end. To understand the present, we need to think about what the final things will be. And then he shows us what is going to happen on Judgment Day. He shows us what will be, where all history is going, so that we know how to live today. Jesus reveals the end or the big picture or the point or the purpose of history so that we can act rightly today. And if we see that big picture, if we see the end, if we see the point and the purpose of everything that's happening, there will be people who treasure the kingdom above all will be people who value it above all. And will be people who understand both Old and New Testament, who are scribes trained for the kingdom, who are looking at the length and breadth of Scripture, trying to understand the whole. And so as we go, as we face a week in which we don't know what's going to happen, let's face it knowing what's going to happen at the end, knowing what will be of value in the end, and let's face it, with the, face it with the determination to live in light of the end. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you that Christ will return. He will return and bring an end to evil. That all the bad seed, all those who do wrong, and all causes of sin will be destroyed and thrown away. We thank you that we know that this is coming. That whatever happens today and tomorrow and this week and this year, however bad it may seem to us and however uncertain we might feel or confused or worried or fearful, we know what will be in the end, that your kingdom will grow to rule, that you will return and weed out all that is evil. So Lord, make us people who are constantly thinking about and looking towards the end. Make us people who live in light of that, who value your kingdom above all. Make us people who see the big picture of your word, how you are explaining to us what is happening and what will happen through scripture. We pray this that you might be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen.